games as we talk. And we're going to, we actually have a pool back there. Um, some people think if you think that's the hot tub, church hot tub, um, maybe, maybe monthly or so if, I, if my muscles are aching, I'll go back there for a hot tub on my own. I don't really do that. Don't worry about it. Um, in case you walk in, that, that would be kind of unblessing, I think. But um, baptisms, I mean, they're a really special day for us because it, for us here at the village, it reminds us what we do. It reminds us in many ways what the Christian life is about. Because, again, for some of you, I'm guessing the nature of coming to church, it's, it's either a weird thing. And you're looking around, you're like, man, I thought I was the only freak coming to church. What are all these people doing here? It, it's kind of, it might be a foreign concept. Um, and, and maybe it's easy to think of the Christian life as some form of another form of self-improvement. Like you have your self-help aisle at, at the bookstore or on Amazon. And Christianity, maybe it's another way, you know, my life is a little jacked up. I got a little, some issues. I need a way to get myself better. So maybe you think of Christianity or the church. Um, or, and, and don't misunderstand me. I hope that if, if you walk here at the village and, and you try to seek God, I hope there will be some improvements in your life. If not, I mean, we probably need to reevaluate what we're doing here. Um, we should become a better person. But ultimately, I got, we, this, we can't stress enough, it's not about just becoming a better person. I mean, because, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this in church, there are plenty of ways aside from Jesus and being a better person. Um, this might sound sacrilegious. I know a lot of people that have nothing to do with God who are actually a lot more generous or kind, or patient, or, or just understanding. Um, so there's a lot of ways that you can be a good person. But being a Christian is a whole other matter. Being a Christian, it's not just a better way of living. It's really a whole new life. It's, it's a whole new life. Because according to the Bible, there's a very um, personal sense of identification that comes when we understand the, the, the burial, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I want to read a few verses from the book of Romans. Uh, I think we have it up on the screen. If you want to pick up in the Bible in your uh, seats there, it's page 807. But this is Romans chapter 6, starting verse 4, where it says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So again, there's some misunderstandings of what being a Christian is. Sometimes we've thought of the Christian faith as, um, you know, see how Jesus lived. You know, the whole WWJD. And if you still got like a little wristing that says WWJD, I'm not hating on you. It's, it's all good. Um, but sometimes we think about being a Christian. Like, look at what Jesus did and try to be like him. Do your best. Look at him and look how good he was to the poor and how good he was to the outcasts of society. And man, when, when, when people beat up on him, all he did was say, forgive him. You should be like Jesus. And, and he's our great example. So come on, slacker, be like Jesus. What's wrong with you? And, and he's our great example. And there's a little bit of truth there. We should look at Jesus. And in some sense, he, he, 
he did live a certain kind of life that we should emulate. We should say, you know what? I would love to be more and more like Jesus. But the truth is no one is ever changed or transformed just from a good example. Um, I mean, how many of you had this? Why can't you just be more like your brother? Why can't you just be more like little Johnny down the street? Man, he studies. He doesn't slack off. He doesn't mess around. He, like, he doesn't go breaking into people's cars. And, you know, why can't you be like good little Johnny? Or why can't you be like your big sister? She's so responsible. She's so, uh, why don't you try to be like her? I mean, has that ever motivated you to be like, yes, you know what? Set that example before me. Just keep telling me how, how horrible I am compared to this. That makes me want to change. Thank you for showing me how, how I really lack. I mean, none of us are transformed. We, what do we get? We get bitter, right? We feel more horrible about ourselves. We, we actually have a vision that says, this is how much you're not living the life. Um, true deep change that we're talking about here, it never comes from following example, but it comes from identification with Jesus. It, it, that's, that's how it. And what identification in Jesus, it means that when Jesus suffered and died on this thing we call the cross, we trust, as we see here, that we died also with him. That when he died, we died. There's a part of us that also died with him. And when we celebrate, and again, little plug, next week, Easter, resurrection of Jesus, great Sunday to be here, invite a friend. But when we celebrate this idea of the resurrection, that Jesus rose again from the grave, he conquered death and he conquered sin, uh, what we see is that the power that brought Jesus back to life is also the power that the follower of Jesus has to bring us to life. The same power that could raise a man from the grave is the same power that gives us power to live our life. And that's what happens when we're looking at baptism today. What we're celebrating, what it symbolizes is the sense that the people who are being baptized, they're publicly identifying themselves with the life and the death of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Christ. So let's unpack a little bit what that means. It, it, we see here in the verses here, it talks about dying to sin. And again, uh, I, I don't know all of our church background here, but when we talk about sin, that's a really nebulous word, right? You've, you might have had people like, pointing at you on the street corner and saying, sinner. You might have had a, a parent, sinner. You might have really religious friends, sinner. And you got no clue what that means, you know, what that word, what, what does sin mean? Because oftentimes sin is talked about good versus bad, right? So here are good people, and here's what good people do. Um, here's what bad people do, and, and that's sin. And we all have our different definitions of who's good or bad, Right? Um, and it often becomes an issue of morality more than anything else. What it means to be a good moral person. And again, that has something to do with it. Our goal should not to become more immoral. I mean, if we're growing in the village, our mission should never be how you can be more amoral, but no Jesus. I mean, th- that's ridiculous. Um, but it's the, pibli- the biblical picture we see described here. It goes much deeper than just a moral matter. You see verse 6, it talks about being enslaved to sin. Verse 7, it talks about being set free from sin. And the language, um, it, it's talking about almost this bondage kind of thing where sin is not so much an action, though there are certain actions that probably fall under sin. Um, but it's not so much an action, but sin is a condition. It's not so much what we do or don't do, but sin is who we are. It's the state that we're in. And, and this is universal. What the Bible says is that we're all born into this. No matter if you're on the wrong side or the right side of the streets, no matter what color your skin, no matter if you're male or female, no matter what culture you come from, what the one universal thing that unites us all is, is that we're all born into sin. And, and this language here, it's used for slavery. Um, and not... 
I'm guessing not too many of us have experienced with slavery, but incarceration. Some of us have experience with our incarceration, right? Bondage. Basically, no matter what you do, how hard you work, how diligently you try, you're confined to this certain status, and you have no choice in the matter. And that sounds pretty disheartening because some of you are thinking, man, what, why bother then if we're born into that, if we have another choice, if that's just who we are? Um, one of the best ways I know how to explain this, this kind of innate sinful condition is through the lens of temptation. How do we explain that we're all born sinners, that this is our condition? Um, I think temptation, when you think of the nature of temptation, we really see this idea of not being free. When you think about what temptation is. Because the thing about temptation, have, have you thought about it? You can be like the, the most powerful person in society. You can make like loads of money. You can have an incredible family. You've built up this moral sense of what family is. You are powerful. You've got like everyone looking up to you. Yet, you cannot conquer this sense of temptation. It's this sense that, I mean, we've seen in our history, you can be the most powerful man in the U.S., and temptation still is there. And we all face that. No matter how good you are, no matter how much you come in on a Sunday and you look all pretty and nice and all church closed and all good, that we still have this temptation that rages within us. It's what makes someone who the doctor keeps telling him, you're going to kill yourself if you keep eating like that. We know better, yet we still do it. You are going to ruin your marriage if you keep looking at those things. If you keep messing around with that, you are going to ruin your marriage. We know better, yet we still do it. Because temptation reveals this, this condition that we're in. That you can even change what you look like on the outside, but you can't change your desires. You can't change what your heart longs for. That even though we know we shouldn't do something, we still want it. We still ache for it, and we often do. And even, again, we might modify our behavior, but we find that transforming our desires are a whole nother matter. And, and, and there's something about that, that no matter how hard we try, it's just who we are. And some of you, you battle with that, right? You're like, man, I want to be so pure, yet I struggle with these impure thoughts within me. Man, I want to be so clean. Yet the temptation of taking that next hit is just so strong. Man, I just want to be stop being so petty with people. I want to stop being such a jerk, but I, this temptation to just have to tell people off. I don't know why I can't get, get rid of that. It, it, it's just so strong. And guys, that's why the message of Jesus' death and resurrection is called the gospel. It's literally what it means is good news. Because when we identify with Jesus, the power of God kills the power of sin over our lives. It doesn't mean you don't struggle with sin. Because some people, they might even tell you this. Well, if you're a Christian, you should stop struggling with that. Why are you still tempted? Maybe you're not a Christian. I say, you know, maybe you are. <laughs> and you're just aware of your issues now. It doesn't mean you stop being tempted. But what the difference is, your sin does not condemn you any longer. Amen? It's not that you don't struggle with sin anymore, but the sin that once told you, hey, loser, hey, convict, hey, chains, hey, in bondage, hey, condemned, sin no longer has power to do that when you're identified with the freeing power of Jesus. Because when Jesus died, he destroyed our sin. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is on the cross, this was not just a noble sacrifice. It says that Jesus actually became 
your dysfunction. He became your sin. He took that fully upon himself so that you wouldn't have to carry that anymore. And instead, he gives you the perfect, perfection of who he is. He gives you the perfect life that he lived. And guys, I mean, this is good news, but I like to call it great news. That might be improper, like, translation. I think this is great news. In Jesus, sin no longer has the power to condemn us because this is really great news for some of us because some of you, some of us, we have lived continually under the guilt and the shame of the condemnation of our sin. Some of you, you don't need a preacher getting all crazy up in front to tell you that you're a sinner. You have that speaking to yourself continually. You feel like you've let yourself down. You're not the person you should be. You've hurt other people. You've hurt yourself. And, and the thing is, you've screwed up. Maybe you've made poor decisions. You've hurt others. You've hurt God. And you genuinely want to do better. I am guessing, unless you got this weird, like, self-abusive um, street, you're probably not here on a Sunday just to kind of do something. I mean, you're probably thinking, I want to change. I want to be different. Uh, And you keep wishing, man, if I just had another chance, this time I'll do better. And for me, that was always in front of a toilet late on Friday or Saturday night uh, after doing God knows what, thinking, God, if I just had one more chance, I won't do this again. I promise. Right? There's, There's something about being at that low point. You're like, please, just one more chance and it'll be different this time. Um, Yeah. I'm sure if we did that raising of hands, which would be really awkward. A lot of hands ago, right? But we just want one more chance to get it right. But can we be real? It, it usually doesn't get right, does it? No matter how it's not an issue of how many chances we get. Um, even when we try the hardest, things usually don't change just from wanting to change. And if your life is kind of that train wreck, and we say train wreck uh, affectionately here, um, if your life is that train wreck and you find yourself saying, man, if I just had another chance to make it better, can I, can I tell you, that doesn't have to be your phrase anymore. That God doesn't want you to live in guilt and shame. That Jesus, he's not just another chance, but he's the way to a whole new life. Not just trying harder, not doing over again, but a whole new life. Because the Christian faith, it's not just about trying to be stronger. And some of us talk in that language, right? Man, God just helps me be stronger. That's, that's kind of true. But the Christian life is actually acknowledging that you're weak, that you're broken, that you have no hope in yourself and you're helpless to fix yourself. The good news is that there is, there is a Savior who is strong. Jesus is capable. And he tells you, yo, get on my back. I got this. And let me take care of it. And I would welcome you to receive Jesus and find freedom from the things that maybe you've always felt helpless to change. And, and even as I say that, I'm guessing some of us that resonates, you feel like train wreck right here, class A example. Some of us, if we're honest, your life might not feel like a train wreck. Um, and, and it might be difficult to actually say why, why you need Jesus. It might be difficult, you know, you hear, see people around you say, man, I am so broken. My life is such a mess. I need Jesus so much. You might be thinking, and again, without arrogance, like, my life's not bad. You know, I, I've got things kind of together here. I mean, let's be real. You've got Christians who are telling you, hey, you need Jesus to get your life better. And in your head, you're thinking, um, I'm actually a better person than you are. Um, I- I'm kinder. I'm-, I'm more generous. I'm more diligent, uh, you know, et cetera. If that's you, can I tell you, um, the gospel is also great news for you, too, because the sin that Jesus kills in your life is not maybe the things you're doing wrong. It's what you're trying to do right. And we would say what Jesus kills is religion. 
Um, and when I say religion, I don't mean like necessarily God, but religion, a way you can think of it is what are you trying to do to be a better person? It might have to do with God. It might have nothing to do with God. But in your mind's eye, what are the things that you need to do to be a better person? What are the ways that you improve yourself? What are the ways that you can be a better citizen? And, and the reason why I'm saying that Jesus frees us from religion, religion, it sounds good. It sounds like you do all these things, work hard, study hard, uh, be a good citizen, find a, get into a good marriage, try to be a good parent, try to be good with your money, try to be generous, do all these things. And your life will be fulfilled. But the reason why religion is so life-sucking is that it promises something it can't deliver. It promises you, you do all these things, and you will find wholeness and peace in your life. But it's never enough. It's never enough. I think about, um, I won't ask this question because it might embarrass, but I'm guessing if I said, how many of you got credit card debt or some kind of debt, there would be a lot of hands that go up. Um, one of the reasons, if you've talked with me, you know I'm passionate about, like, not having debt. Why? Because usually you're passionate about stuff that you've gone through. Because there was a point after college, I had just had this massive credit card debt. And you're so, not you guys in college are dumb. When I was in college, I was so dumb. Because I had a credit card, and I just thought there was, like, a magical thing that you just charge things. It's not like using real money. Oh, someone's taking care of it somewhere. And then you would get this thing called a bill. Back then, there was these paper things that you get sent in the mail called a bill. Now I know it all comes through email. There was these things called a bill. I'm like, oh, what? what? Who used all this money? Who, who bought a burrito two days in a row? Seriously? That's, I did that? Who, who? And, and, and you have this debt. And there's this sick thing at the bottom of your credit card bill says, here's the minimum payment. And it's usually like 15 bucks or 20 bucks. And minimum payment. So it's just saying, okay, yeah, I know you got like this $1,000 debt, but here's a $15 payment. Just keep doing that, and you're going to take away this debt. Um, until you do some research, and you find out statistics say, yeah, if you pay the minimum debt, it's like really small letters too. It will take you like 30 years to pay this off. <laughs> like it doesn't happen. You, you, basically, you're just paying off, trying to just stay with it, but you're not actually paying anything off, but you just keep giving to it, giving to it, giving to it. And for a lot of us, that's kind of what, like, the religious life is. It's not freedom, but it's trying to say, what do I need to do so that I will be, either God will accept me or I will accept myself. But there's a verse in Colossians 2.13 that I really love, and it says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is great news. What this means is that though you've got that debt and you're trying to pay it off by being a good person, Jesus taking it and boom, just like nailed it to the cross and says, I've covered this, paid in full. You're free. Because it's exhausting to try to be the person you think you're supposed to be. It's exhausting trying to live up the standards of what a good person is, isn't it? It is maddening to try to keep up appearances of what you think a good person should live like and act like, what a hard worker should be. And what Jesus promises is freedom. That's what God has the power to do. And, and we're going to look more at the resurrection of Jesus next Sunday. But one of the powerful things that the resurrection demonstrates to us is, again, it's this power that we see just as Jesus was made alive after death, we who are identified with 
God, through Christ, we have also been made alive. And that's the same power that actually enables us to live the life that we want to. Not because of our effort, not because we try harder, not because we beat ourselves up enough, but because of what Jesus did. Not just surface change, but actually heart transformation, heart change. And guys, not just doing stuff because you think that's what you should do, but actually wanting to do it. Actually desiring it. And, and that's what baptism reminds us of. Um, that our sin no longer has power over us. And our power to live the way we were meant to comes from Jesus alone. And, I mean, that's the kind of transformation we, we love to talk about here at the church. Um, because, and I don't know about your background, but for me, a lot of my uh, even church background was about, man, try to be a better person. Try a little harder this week. Stop doing this. Start doing this. Try to be better. And, and feeling the frustration that it's never enough. The freedom of Jesus is, I got this covered. I got this paid. Identify with me. Trust in me. Believe that when I went to this thing called a cross, I went there for you as well. Enjoy my story. Help others to know this story. And we celebrate baptism because it reminds us of each person's story. So I want to invite up here those who are getting baptized.